Welcome to the latest episode of Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Tom Freeman, the director of the Addiction and Mental Health Group in the Psychology Department at the University of Bath. Tom and colleagues have just published a new paper in the journal, so I asked him about what they did and what they found. First off, can I get you to briefly introduce yourself? My name is Tom Freeman. I'm the Director of the Addiction and Mental Health Group at the University of Bath. Excellent, thank you. And we're talking today because you've just had a paper published in Addiction, Changes in Delta-9 Tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, and Cannabidiol, CBD, Concentrations in Cannabis Over Time, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. I'm reading that off a bit of paper, so I haven't just memorised it. (laughs) It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it, that title? Well, it's good because it sets the scene very nicely. I think you definitely know what you're going to get when you open a paper with a title like that. So I think I like very descriptive titles. I think they're good. (laughs) So first of all, can can you just tell us what you did in your study? Thank you. With this study, we were very interested in cannabis products because around 200 million people use cannabis in the world every year which is really quite a lot of people. But unlike for drugs like alcohol and tobacco, where people have really good information about what they contain through labelling and regulations, with cannabis, people really don't have an idea of what it contains. It's very different. So we were very motivated to conduct research into how cannabis may have changed over the years. And we were very interested in the two major cannabis constituents, delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or I'll say THC from now on, THC, which is a part that gets people high, um, but it can also have harms, which could be concerning for many people. They can be dose dependent. Um, So we're very interested in THC and also cannabidiol or CBD, which is another cannabinoid that's gained a lot of interest for its medicinal uses. But we were very interested in how THC and CBD may have changed over time because many people who are older now um, than today's young people, they might say, well, when I used cannabis 30 or 40 years ago, it was fine. We didn't have any of these problems like addiction or psychosis, and it was generally quite a mellow drug. And now there are lots of reports about cannabis being related to problematic use, um, particularly an increased concern about psychosis. And we were quite interested to see actually how much have cannabis products changed over approximately 50 years. So that was the aim of what we wanted to do. So how did you go about trying to answer that question then? We registered a systematic review, and this is a method you can use in order to find literature in a very unbiased way. Um, And we set to find all studies from inception of all um, scientific studies up until the time of our search that had measured changes in cannabis products, including THC and or CBD over at least three time points. So we searched the whole scientific literature for any study that had done that. And we then got those studies, reviewed them, and then combine the data to understand how they changed over time. And what did you find? What we found was that for herbal cannabis, which is the most common cannabis product, so essentially a flower from the cannabis plant, in herbal cannabis there was an increase of 0.29% THC every year from 1970 to 2017. So a linear change um, every year, an increase in THC. And then for cannabis resin, which is less common, but is actually quite common in Europe, relatively, um, we saw a change that was approximately twofold higher. So for cannabis resin or hash, the increase was 0.57% each year. And in terms of the systematic review, how many papers did you identify and what were kind of 
what were the quality of those papers like? Because as you say, in lots of places around the world, uh, cannabis is illicit. And so actually getting good quality information about potency is quite challenging. Well, that's a really important point you've raised. Doing cannabis research generally, it can feel challenging because the the nature of cannabis as an illegal drug does make it very difficult to research in a number of different ways. And this is an example of that because we found 12 studies that met our eligibility criteria. Um, and these were from a range of countries. So the USA, UK, France, Netherlands, Italy, Denmark and New Zealand. So from a range of countries, 12 studies. It would have been good to have more studies, but that's what we found. This is partly due to our rigorous selection criteria of having at least three time points. Um, because if I, if I took a study from Spain um, two years ago and then I compared it to a study from Canada the, the next year, they wouldn't necessarily be that comparable. So it's really good to have a comparison within countries. And that's why we had this free annual time point requirement. Um, in terms of the quality overall, we did do a risk of bias assessment and generally the risk of bias was low. But the, the one consistent problem we found in almost all the studies was that the sampling method was, was biased. It was samples that were taken from police seizures, um, which, as we know from the way that the, the police operate, they don't operate in a systematic and unbiased way. In fact, the opposite has, has widely been voiced as a concern. And so it might, it might well be with cannabis that the kind of products that are being checked and being tested are different kinds of cannabis products from those that people typically use. The only example where this wasn't the case was in the Netherlands, where they actually have a random testing protocol every January they go and test samples from the coffee shops using a random sample so those data are much more reliable and valid. So what what are the implications of your findings? The implications are over time cannabis products have changed in terms of increases in THC, um, no changes in CBD overall. This means that when people use cannabis um, increasingly the dose of THC they're exposed to will increase. There's some evidence that people might be able to adapt because as the THC rises, people might be able to use a bit less. What we found when we've done this in a naturalistic setting is that people somewhat adapt by using a bit less or inhaling less deeply. But overall, over time, people are are being exposed to greater concentrations of THC. And one of the other things we've been interested in in parallel work is how treatment for cannabis disorders has been going up considerably. And this this has appeared to, to mirror the changes in in cannabis potency. So it might be that if cannabis is becoming more harmful as a product, more people might end up having problems and eventually seek help. That's a major problem clinically. Cannabis use disorders are the major um, contribution of cannabis to the global burden of disease. There's also very strong concerns about psychosis. And here the association is strong, um, but of course the relationship between cannabis and psychosis is controversial. Are there any limitations or caveats around your work that people should bear in mind when they read your paper? Absolutely. We did only um, select 12 studies using this review. So this is a systematic review and meta-analysis of international studies, um, but it shouldn't be interpreted as globally representative. We're not in a position where we can say these changes reflect um, the whole world, not not at all. The issue about non-random sampling is an important one. And I think this can be a really good impetus for future research as legal cannabis markets open up and in some cases research can be less restricted there are opportunities to conduct better quality monitoring and this is something that 
that may or may not happen in countries such as Canada and potentially New Zealand um, following a referendum that's planned. And another thing about the study is that we found a lot of heterogeneity. This is an issue in meta-analyses. When we pulled together all of the findings from all the different studies, they were all quite different. And we did pull them together, but it's important to recognise that they were quite, quite varied, as you'd expect from different countries. And so our estimates may be biased. And what is the, what's the key take-home message or messages that you'd like people to come away with when they read your paper? The key message is that cannabis products have changed substantially over the past 50 years or so, characterised by an increase in THC and stable levels of CBD. And this raises challenges for people who, who manage cannabis in clinical settings because, as I said at the start, it's very difficult to know what kind of cannabis you have. One of the things that I've been doing with Valentina Lorenzetti from the Australian Catholic University in Australia is trying to work towards standard units of THC because the problem of uncertainty around cannabis products can be overcome in the same way that we have units of alcohol and we have the concept of a standard drink. Um, In the future, what we're trying to achieve is that people can have measured quantities of fixed doses and this is a way of overcoming the variety of cannabis products such that you wouldn't necessarily have a greater risk of harm if cannabis changed, you would have the correct dosage based on the number of standard units. Dr Tom Freeman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And there we are. Thanks to Tom for taking the time to speak to me. And do join us again next time. Bye.